Hi, it's Dave. Today I'm going to be doing a live stream and I'm going to be talking about Tesla stock and why it's risen so much just in the past few days. So first let's take a look at um, this Tesla stock chart here. You can see today the Tesla rose almost 14% and if you include after hours it's actually up already 3% in addition. So it's at $671 in aftermarket right now and Tesla stock is just completely on fire. Today, um, a friend called me up just like 15 minutes ago. He's like, Dave, what's going on with Tesla? It's up almost 15%. And he's like, I don't understand why it's up. And so I wanted to do this video to kind of explain and share my thoughts on why Tesla is up and to kind of give a deeper look because I think a lot of people just kind of look at stock price action is in a more superficial way. Um, if you're actually um, watching this live stream live, I want you to go ahead and go ahead and add a comment in the comment section to let me know that actually this live stream is working and that'll help me out a lot. All right, so let's take a look at Tesla stock um, charts for a second here. So you see today's um, action was up 78 points during market hours and, a, and another 20 points after market. So it's basically up almost $100 just in one day, an amazing move. Let's look at the past five days. Tesla was at almost like $500 um, just in the beginning of the week. Uh, last week and it's risen almost 150 bucks um, just in the period of five or six days. Now let's take a look at uh, Tesla's one month chart here and if you can see that Tesla um, already um, went down to under 400 it hit a low of 361 dollars right on Wednesday March 18th that was less than a month ago and ever since then it's been kind of slowly on the rise up and if you notice, it's just continued to rise over the past um, few weeks. Let's take a look at Tesla's six-month chart right now. Um, by the way, thanks guys for leaving a comment and letting me know that this live stream is working. I'm excited to to share with this stuff, um, share some of this stuff with you guys. All right, so the six-month chart here, you see Tesla. Um, it did reach a high, right, of like 960 bucks or so. Um, and then if you notice, six months ago, Tesla was really at 260 dollars just six months ago. I mean, that's not a very long time ago. And people tend to think, I think, are so accustomed, they're, they get acclimated, right, to whatever the last stock price was. And so people think, oh my gosh, Tesla in the 900s, right, it's come down. But if you look just six months ago, Tesla was in the 200s, and it's done an amazing move just in the past six months. Um, just in December of 2019, Tesla was 300. And if you notice, um, December 19th, was the first day actually broke $400 ever in Tesla's history. This was just four months ago. So if you think about it, Tesla just four months ago hit an all-time high of $400. And now four months later, they're at $650, actually $672 after market right now at this moment. So Tesla, um, overall, if you look at the six-month chart, Tesla has been doing um, a fantastic job in terms of its stock price. And um, in terms of today's move now, there's been a lot of uh, confusion about why people or why the stock is moving so high. And I want to kind of share my thoughts because I think a lot of times people just look at kind of the quickest answer, right? And um, let's take a look at electric right here. Um, here, Fred Lambert kind of takes um, shares his take on the stock move. And he's saying that he thinks that people are starting to look at what the auto market is going to look like post-pandemic. And they're starting to see a Tesla might be in a better situation than other automakers. And, there, and he goes on to say that there's potential for the crisis for Tesla to benefit even more long term. And then he goes on to say that, you know, traditional automakers, you could argue, were already in a crisis due to the transition to electric cars. And with this pandemic on top of it, some of them might not survive. But on the other hand, Tesla is already in the final form of what all automakers will be after this situation. Therefore, if it can just survive this crisis, it will be in a much better situation. Now, I want to kind of comment on this on a few things. First of all, yeah, I think it's true. Obviously, Tesla is going to be in a better situation right after the post-pandemic crisis than most automakers. I mean, first off, Tesla has a great cash position. At the end of 2019, they already had $6 billion in the bank. And then in February or so, they raised another right $2.3 billion. And so they had basically $8.3 billion um, or so in the bank before this um, crisis hit. And so for Tesla, I mean, I, someone was asking me recently, like how long can Tesla survive, right? With their cash um, on hand. Now Tesla typically has about a billion dollars in operating expenses per quarter. 
And that's a little bit um, arbitrary or subjective because they actually have cost of revenue as well, meaning their factory workers who are working to assemble their cars are not included actually in their operating expenses. So they do have an additional expense with that. However, if they're going to shut down, let's say, you know, their factory production and they're, you know, furlough a bunch of delivery people as well. Um, across the company, you're going to see their operating expenses actually drop significantly because, you know, let's say hypothetically Tesla does a complete shutdown um, for months and months on end. I would imagine they can, you know, maybe operate off of, you know, $500 million of operating expenses, if not a billion max. So I think, you know, you're looking at every year, they could probably burn about $3 billion or so. And so for Tesla to have $8 billion in the bank, they could probably last two years, right, without operating. So they're in a great actually situation to kind of weather this like pandemic storm. And if this spirals down from like spirals down into a huge, let's say, financial crisis, Tesla still is in a great position. Um, they're very lean in their expenses. I think that's one of the, um, the underappreciated aspects of Tesla is they're very lean in a lot of ways. Um, just a billion dollars in operating expenses per quarter and they can weather the storm with their cash balance. And so, yeah, Tesla definitely is in a better place than most other automakers. And I think, yeah, it's true they'll be in a better place afterwards. However, I don't think that this tells the full story of why Tesla has gone up this week. Um, some other people have speculated, oh, it's the news out of China, right? And they're saying, yeah, um, Tesla, obviously, as you guys already know, probably Tesla released um, information that they're going to sell their long range Model 3 and the performance model Model 3 in China, made in China. And the price is actually quite, is, is a lot lower than some people expected, meaning it's going to be actually a great price. It's got incentives, federal, um, the government incentives as well. And so you've got like a great um, kind of extra demand source in China with their China factory and the made in China cars. And there's also been, you know, reports of Tesla of, of Tesla producing over 10,000, I think it was 11 or 12,000 cars actually in March in China. And it blew away, right, all of people's expectations. Um, I want to give a shout out to actually uh, Troy Teslike, um, at Teslike on Twitter. And he kind of nailed the, the numbers. You know, he was expecting about, I think, 12,000 or so produced Model 3s in March. And everyone else was kind of like thinking, you know, three, four, five thousand 5,000 max. But yeah, it's true. Like Tesla is ramping their made in China uh, Tesla cars very fast. It's already at a 3,000 3, cars per week run rate. And in July, they're looking to, rumor has it, to, to expand it to 5,000 cars per week. Now, a 5,000 car per week run rate is basically 250,000 right, car per year production rate. And that's actually quite amazing. And it's possible that, you know, Tesla Shanghai really um, can produce, you know, over 150,000 cars this year. And that would be fantastic as long as the demand in China actually can support all that production, which, you know, I think it could. Um, the, the X factor also is when Model Y comes online for Tesla. I mean, it's very possible Model Y, you know, it's being scheduled for early next year, maybe like January, possibly February of next year to come online production. But, you know, who knows? Tesla can try to push that forward and try to get Model, Model Y online in China faster, hopefully before the end of the year. And that could actually help with uh, production and delivery numbers also in Shanghai. And so, yeah, I think there is a point to be made that Tesla Shanghai is helping Tesla in this situation, in this pandemic situation. It's showing that Tesla is somewhat diversified in, in its production and deliveries. And um, I think it does support the stock price. However, I don't think that that tells the full story, right? I think that's another kind of more shallow analysis of kind of like oversimplifying the story, right, of Tesla stock price. Now I wanna go through what I think is maybe a more compelling narrative that might explain some of Tesla's stock rise just this past week or so. And I'm not saying that this is the only factor in terms of Tesla stock rise, right? 15% just one day. However, I think it's probably going to be the major factor. I think most people I've been reading or, you know, watching have been completely missing out on this point. And I want to kind of sh bring this up because I think it's going to be helpful for most people to, to be aware of this other world out there that's kind of um, influencing stock prices. And I think a lot of retail individual investors are kind of oblivious to that. And I think by understanding what's really out there, it's going to help us understand what's going on with right stock price and what's going, what hopefully is going to go on in the future as well. So here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> the Fed is doing a massive quantitative easing program right, to relieve this recession. I think people are underestimating or not understanding the ramifications of 
the Fed kind of releasing all this liquidity into the markets. Now, I'm going to try to explain this. Before this whole pandemic crisis, there was already kind of a lot of liquidity in the markets, meaning interest rates were low. The Fed still had you know, a good amount on their balance sheet. Um, and most hedge funds out there were extremely leveraged, meaning, you know, rather, let's say you had a million dollars in your hedge fund, rather than buying like a million dollars worth of stocks or bonds or stuff, rather than that, you would leverage that, meaning you would buy like $5 million or $10 million or, you know, whatever, maybe, yeah, it probably wasn't going to be up to 10 million, but probably above $5 million worth of stocks and bonds. And you do that through some, by leveraging, right, your, your account and your fund to get the extra kind of gains that that leverage money would, would perform. And you would do that because money was easily accessible, interest rates were low, and you could actually get increased gains through leveraging your money. Now the problem is when a recession hits or when a, when a pandemic, an economic shock hits, now you have to deleverage, meaning you have to kind of pull money out because if you don't pull money out, you're going to lose probably a massive amount of money because you're leveraged. So you try to deleverage as fast as you can. And that's why we saw like a, a big drop in the stock market under 20,000. Now, <clears throat> the question though is not just big money or hedge funds in general, but we want to specifically look into smart money, big smart money, people who hold billions of dollars in their control, but who are very in tune and are forward thinking in their kind of decisions, investments. A lot of times these people are kind of driving a lot of the, the movements forward. And the big smart money knows that as the Fed injects trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy because of this economic crisis we're in right now, that this is introducing a lot of liquidity. This money is going places in the economy and places. However, there's a, not a lot of places for this money to be put to work. For example, you could stick it into a 10-year treasury, you get what, 0.7% or so, or into a 30-year treasury, you get like whatever, 1% or so, a little bit higher. But there's not a lot of places where you can get a good return on your capital. So when the story starts to change economically and the economy starts to look more positive, then people are going to, the big smart money is going to rush to get into right the best stocks because they know that there's ample amount of supply. There's a ton of liquidity and money that's going to be chasing after assets once the economy starts. And so the big smart money is going to look for the first signs of the economy turning and try to get into the best companies as soon as they can before they have they miss their chance, basically. And so what's happening, in my opinion, is the big smart money is realizing that the trillions of dollars in quantitative easing that the Fed is doing right now is causing, in a way, conditions of kind of another bubble, or I would say it caught, it's the prerequisites, right, for a, a fast rise in certain equity prices. And because of that, they're going to get into these strong companies early as possible when the market, when they see the future turning. So for example, uh, a, a big name that, you know, uh, people are getting into, um, a lot of funds are getting into is Amazon. If you look at Amazon, they're up, you know, 6% today in one day, right? If you look at just their past five days, just on Monday last week, they're at 1950 and now they're at 2168, right? Look at their past month, right? You have Amazon at se below $1,700 and now they're almost at $2,200 just within a month, right? And if you look at their six month track record, right? Amazon is already right close to their all time highs, right? That they hit just um, a few months ago. Um, and if you look at Amazon, they hit a low of buzz below 1700. And that's when kind of like everyone thought, you know, everything was going to go just down, down, down. And big smart money as they start to see the economy or the potential and the possibilities of the economy to to recover somewhat. Now you have the, the big smart money now basically buying into Amazon and um, as early as you can. Right. And that's um, one of the popular stocks you have. Now, let's look at Apple here. Apple was up 2% today, up $5. Let's look at f the five-day chart here. You have Apple, um, basically, yeah, they were at 250 now they're at 273 right? That's big jump, just 10% jump just within a week. The past month, Apple was, yeah, 240 went down to about 225 Past six months, you had Apple hitting a low, um, about 220 224 or so. Um, their all-time high was like 327 or so, right? So they're still off their all-time high about 20%. Um, but Amazon is, or Apple is one of those companies where like these big funds, like they want to jump in as quick as possible when they start to see the economy rebounding or potential, right, for the economy to rebound. Because 
all of these hedge funds, right? They, they, they're wanting like a combination of two things. They're wanting one appreciation of their assets, right? Growth of the assets, but they're also wanting safety, meaning they don't want to be stuck on some penny stock, right? That just, they wake up one day, just like luck and coffee and like it's stopped trading and you just don't know how to get your money or if it's going to go to zero. So all these hedge funds, they want a combination of both growth and safety. And Apple is one of those stocks, right? Where it's like, hey, Apple's, you know, giving a good dividend, you know, they have a strong business and it's a safe company. And on top of that, you have Warren Buffett, right? You have Warren Buffett who comes out and says, this is by far the best company that I know of in the world, right? And for Warren Buffett to just say, yeah, I don't know a better company, right, than Apple. Like you have all these hedge funds who, who listen to that and like, oh yeah, Apple, 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 right? They're one of the best companies in the world. And so when the economy starts to turn and when people see the potential for the economy to turn, what, where are they going to start to put their money in? They're going to start to put their money into the companies that are that they can have growth and safety. And Apple is one of those companies, right? Um, and that's why you start to see Apple rebounding. Another one of these companies is Google. <clears throat> and Google is an interesting company because again, it offers growth and safety, right, for these funds. These are the two magic kind of words for these funds. Give them growth and safety, and what else do they want? Um, you know, all these funds, they just want to beat, right, the S&P 500, right? They just want to keep their jobs. They just want to be known as Great investors are so-called beat the S&P 500. To me, that's kind of uh, besides the point. But anyways, if you look at Google, um, yeah, Google's up to $1,200. Um, at the beginning of uh, last week, it was at $1,130. And the past month, right, is down under 1000 And um, yeah, six months ago, right, Google hit basically 1532 was their all-time high. They went down to almost $1,000. Um, in March, yeah, March 23rd, and now they're rebounding to above 1200. And Google is another one of these great growth and safety stocks because Google is very well diversified, meaning they're in so many countries around the world as the top search engine. But also look at, look at YouTube. I mean, can you think of a better business than YouTube right now? I mean, it's like YouTube is, if YouTube was a separate company, right? I mean, this would be, I think, a 10X company. Right, meaning 10x in five to 10 years, kind of one of my kind of generational companies, because YouTube has just got so much going for it. It's it's pretty much like got the whole market of kind of uh, user developed developed right uh, content, and YouTube is growing at such a fast pace. They have so many monetization opportunities, and it's not just in the U.S. It's like worldwide, besides of course China and a few other countries. But yeah, if you think about Google, I mean, you know, because they're you have Google search, you have other things that they're going to, it's not going to be obviously a 10x company in five to 10 years because um, even though YouTube is going to grow like insa insanity, but nevertheless, it offers the growth and stability that these hedge funds um, are looking for, right? And that's why they want to jump into these um, stocks like that. All right, so um, we have another stock. So besides the growth, besides these kind of safe, kind of, you know, semi growth stocks, these, um, Big money hedge funds are also going to look for growth stocks that might not be the safest like Apple or Amazon or Google, but yet are going to be decently like, you know, not too risky, but they're going to offer good growth and they're going to look for the popular names. These hedge funds don't want to go out of the mold. They don't want to take, um, they don't want to go off the edge, right? That's that's like their worst nightmares to, to invest in companies that go bankrupt. So they want some, you know, s safety and number, safety and the herd. As, as I would say. And so they want to go where the herd is. And so they want to go with growth companies that, that are popular enough. And one of them, for example, is Netflix, right? You have Netflix up 7% today. Um, just in the past week, right, Netflix is up, you know, good 10%. The next, in the past month, it went from 300 to $400. In the past six months, right, down from under 200, right, um, all the way up to $400. Another example is um, <clears throat> you have Shopify. Right, Shopify is another fast-growing kind of company that um, um, even though it's not like super low risk, let's say like a Google or Amazon, it's going to be growing faster than a lot of these other companies and it's a popular popular stock. So Shopify is up 7% today, right? 30-point move. In the past five days, it went from 380 to 450, right? That's um, well, a 20% move or so. In the past month, right, it's done a massive move from 320 to 450. In the past six months, it's... it's um. Yeah, gone up. All time high was about five ninety three, and um, yeah, Shopify is recovering because again, this the smart money they start to see the potential of the economy to rebound, and they're wanting to get into 
into these popular growth stocks. Another popular growth stock could be uh, Square, for example, even though it wasn't up that much uh, today. Still, in the past uh, week, it's been up good about 20% or so in the past month and the past six months also. Right, It hit an all-time high of 87 or not all-time high, actually, it's been higher, but a, a 52-week high of 87, um, and it's going up because, yeah, again, as the economy turns these investors, there's limited opportunities, in other words, meaning that you just don't have a ton of fantastic companies out there that offer both attractive growth and a decent amount of safety, right? And so with these limited names, these are going to be the names that are the first to be bought up and the first to um, for these investors to to get into and I think that kind of explains in my opinion the bigger narrative going around with Tesla stock in the past week especially today going up 15% and the bigger narrative is that um, yeah it's not necessarily about China it's not necessarily about other automakers etc and I mean there's a role for for that right for those things as I shared in the beginning of this video but I think the bigger th picture in all of this is smart big money is starting to see the potential for the economy to rebound and they're wanting to get into the best companies before others do right before it's too late because there's just a limited number of opportunities and there's a lot of money on the sidelines right waiting and there's a lot of money that's being injected into right the economy by the fed that has to go somewhere it has to go to equities and to growth and so because of that yeah you do have a limited supply and that's i think probably one of the main reasons why Tesla um, is going up. Now, there could be some other stuff, right? Some people are saying, oh, bull trap, bull trap, Tesla can go down. And yes, obviously it could be um, it could be that, right? It could be something that they're buying up, right? Uh, options to build up the stock price and then they're gonna flip their position and, and do a media onslaught and, and crash it down. And that could be, right, another thing. And we could see actually many of these type of, you know, manipulation efforts, right, by funds and different people out there. I think that plays a role, but in the bigger trend, right, if you look at it over weeks, um, of per periods, you're going to see something different. You see, actually, yeah, Tesla hit um, bottom of 350 just about a month ago. Now it's starting to rise up. And I think there's a bigger narrative where there's limited opportunity and people are chasing those opportunities. Now, I think I want to bring up another point here um, is, is in a recession, I think what happens is that um, you start to see weaknesses in companies and in business models, meaning in an economy where it's going well and everything's growing and everything's at all-time highs and people are just, you know, eating, drinking, and, and having fun every day. In a good times economy, what happens is all businesses look attractive, right? All stocks look attractive because everything is going up. So what happens is you don't really see the true weaknesses that are inherent in some of these businesses, meaning a lot of businesses, actually every business, has inherent weaknesses. It's just that those weaknesses, those weaknesses might not be apparent or that obvious. And it's in times of struggle or conflict or intense trauma or it's in these difficult times that you start to see what a company or even a person is really made out of. You see their true character in other ways for a person. But for a company, yeah, you see their true kind of um, business model, their true product um, uh, superiority or lack of superiority. And I think in this recession, you're starting to see a few things. You're starting to see some weaknesses for companies that do not use technology. Like, for example, you know, you have some companies that, you know, these automakers, right? They're just not really into tech. And I think during this recession, you're starting to see like companies that just aren't with it with tech. You start to see, hey, why are you guys so slow, right? It just becomes more apparent. Another example is the internet. You know, it's that like companies that just aren't integrating with the internet, right? Um, aren't using the internet as one of its core kind of like competencies or software, right? You just look at that and you're like, what is this company doing? Why isn't this company, right? Using the internet as core. And before in the good times, you might've overlooked it, right? But now with everything reliant on the internet, right? You're like, this is more important than ever. Um, another example is scale, right? If you look at some of these companies like Apple or Google or Amazon, like take a look at Amazon, right? They have such massive scale, right? On their product and delivery front and selection, all this stuff and infrastructure. What, what's going on is like you don't really completely appreciate that in the good times because like you know you can get your products from a lot of places but during a time of crisis and you start to see Amazon handle right the massive volume and you see just the the massive um, com competency and abilities they've accumulated over the years you really start to appreciate right Amazon's business model and Amazon has a business right they have 
in a way the complete package right they have reliance on the internet they have technology they have you know prices they have the delivery infrastructure and it's just a matter of just people using them more and in this crisis people just flock to things that are very useful to them and i think um going back to tesla as i started this company um i started this video actually uh, about we're starting to see some of the strengths of Tesla more. For example, we're starting to see Tesla's demand as much stronger than other companies, other auto companies, because Tesla has a better product, right? There's the demand and fervor for demand is just higher for Tesla. I'm not saying that we're not going to see a drop of demand this year, but no, what I'm saying is that Tesla's demand though is going to be much stronger, right? For the product, they just have a better product. Tesla has um, their superiority in terms of understanding the internet, technology, right? Autonomy. Um, all this stuff is just going to be appreciated more during this downturn. Another example is growth, right? You know, you might have liked Ford's uh, dividend or something, right, before all this recession. But now during a recession, you're not looking at like Ford or GM's dividend because you're like, are they even going to stay in business? Meaning, who cares about a dividend? Is my stock going to even stay up at all? And there's a different frame of mind, right? And because of that in a recession, you're... You, I think people appreciate growth more, meaning companies that can actually grow and grow your income and money. I think it's actually, you know, um, um, yeah, these are these are uh, limited opportunity companies in a way that can do that in a relatively safe, um, confident manner. Um, yeah, so what I'm saying is I'm not going to make any predictions that Tesla is going to continue to rise per se or what's going to happen because there's always two sides to the story. And... Um, Tesla can always go down because, for example, there could be um, news come. There can be more news that comes out that the economy is actually in worse shape than we realize. It, um, this whole pandemic situation could take longer than we expect. Right? I think there's um, a lot of risk factors going forward. Like, for example, I think while in the U.S. and in a lot of northern hemisphere countries, we're starting to see kind of the peak stabilize, and you're starting to see some of the new cases. Uh, trending down. I think there's a lot of risk that still is out there for um, Southern Hemisphere countries, right? Especially Latin America and Africa. And if the, if the coronavirus pandemic situation just increases heavily in their winter months, which is our summer months in the Northern Hemisphere, you can see a lot of damage in those countries, right? And I think, you know, we probably will see probably like a you know, travel restrictions, you're going to see a lot of, you know, ways to try to mitigate, right, the flow of that virus back into certain countries, but it could be pretty devastating um, for the global kind of uh, community. But also another big kind of concern is um, what happens when in October, November of next winter, right, the coronavirus comes back and we start to see cases happen again. We don't have a vaccine. We don't really have measures. Our, is our society and our economy is going to be able to handle and to mitigate the spread of coronavirus while keeping our economies open. Now, that's a big question. If you haven't read my Medium post, I wrote a whole post on almost like three weeks ago about how we can mitigate the spread of coronavirus in smart and comprehensive ways while keeping our economy open. I listed 10 ways in the article, but in my past videos, but I think that's going to be key. It's like, can these economies use smart, comprehensive ways to actually mitigate the spread of the virus when in next winter, right, we see it crop up again, most likely, um, can we still keep our economies open? Um, and hopefully we'll have, you know, enough time to prepare and to learn from our mistakes, even though that sounds kind of overly optimistic, especially when it comes to the government. Um, so anyways, there's lots of flip sides. And, and as fast as people can pile in into good companies and growth companies because they start to see the economy in the future rebounding, it could also go the flip way, meaning, people can start to pull their money, especially smart big hedge funds and big money, if they start to see the economy significantly, like the prospects of the economy significantly worsen, right? And that can happen to a variety of factors. And especially with growth companies like Tesla, I think those biggest risk factors, the val in the valuation of Tesla, you have most of the valuation based upon its future prospects of growth. And so whatever affects its future prospects of growth, positively or negatively, that's gonna affect the valuation of the company. And so if the economy and if there's a big financial crisis that gets worse and that affects right, the growth and prospects of Tesla in the next few years, then that's going to impact um, the valuation of Tesla significantly because that's going to impact, that's what the valuation of Tesla is made up, which is basically its future growth prospects. All right, um, want to go ahead and uh, thank the guys um, and 
people who have been on the live stream, I appreciate that. If you can go ahead and give a thumbs up for this um, video, I appreciate it so we can, we can get the word out. Um, and yeah, um, we'll go ahead and um, I'll go ahead and end my live stream here. Um, if you have any other questions, I'll stay on for a few more minutes um, and um, I'll answer a couple more questions here. Um, I'll go ahead and actually I'm able to do this. Um, yeah, I'm able to do this thing where I'm able to pull in um, some some questions from people. Um, so if you guys can go ahead and ask a question. I'll pull it in into the video stream and hopefully we can answer some of these questions. So 26 Humor 26 says I was able to refi my mortgage at 2.5% at 15 years. Um, yeah, 2.5%, man. Yeah, I heard some, I had a friend who um, um, was saying they were trying to refi their 30 year mortgage at under 3% and kind of got uh, um, stalled in the process. But yeah, it's amazing if you could get that low of, um, of a price. Um, all right, um, we have a, All right, Ed Sung, he says, any thoughts on Q1 earnings? Well, yeah, I think, you know, we know Q1 deliveries, right? Production and delivery numbers, and it was uh, actually much better than most people expected. I wanna give a shout out to Rob Maurer of Tesla Daily Podcast. He actually nailed the production uh, numbers um, fairly closely and deliveries, I think. Um, but yeah, Q1 earnings was uh, better than expected. I think we're gonna see actually decent numbers actually from Tesla because their earnings pretty much depend on the number of cars they, that get delivered, right? And that produces the revenues and gross margin, which leads to their gross profit. And then from their gross profit, they can cover their, you know, operating expenses and we're left with some type of profit or loss. So in that case, it's like, um, yeah, I don't know if we're going to see a profit. I doubt we'll see a profit just because, you know, we're usually needing to see a little bit higher numbers for Tesla, but Tesla always has a good 50 to $100 million in kind of like, you know, kind of expenses and income that go either way, right? So I think we're going to see something um, uh, close to a negligible, right, or lower net loss probably. Um, I don't think we're going to see actually Tesla go into the S&P 500 this year. And I think there's been some people who are rumored to say, oh yeah, Tesla's gonna make it. I thought they were, actually before this crisis, they were headed into the into the S&P 500. But I think we're gonna see um, uh, probably a negative uh, net loss now, and then we're gonna see um, a neg another negative in Q2. Um, I think that's pretty clear and evident. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't, um, especially if they don't start production until May or so. Um, and that's gonna push off, I think, um, yeah, the S&P 500 for a couple more quarters. All right, so um, yeah, do I think Tesla will open up the Fremont plant in May? This is um, another question. And um, yeah, I think they do. I think it's gonna take a good week or two for them to get like back up to full production. So, you know, if they open it up in early May, maybe in mid-May, right, you, you'll see kind of full production. The problem with Fremont is that um, they're in Alameda County, and Alameda County is in, Bay Area, in, in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area has like kind of the most restrictive right, lockdown orders in the entire country. They're one of the first uh, regions to, to implement a, like these crazy kind of aggressive lockdown orders. And because of that, that's we have to consider like, Tesla can't open up their factories just according to their own whims and wants. They have to work with the local authorities, and we've got the most stringent local authorities in the nation that Tesla has to work with. So I think, yeah, we're looking at May 4th as kind of the best case, or I would say best case, but a very hopeful case, and probably mid-May, hopefully we can see um, Tesla back up and running in full production. Hopefully they'll get a good month and a half, hopefully a little more of full production before the end of um of Q2 and hopefully that's enough to prevent a huge loss. Um, how is a square business model any competition you can see? Yeah well I'm gonna do probably another video or a video on square. Um, I actually have to probably disclose some of this stuff. If I'm gonna talk about a company I should probably say if I own the stock. Um, I expanded my portfolio in the past maybe three weeks um, and I've taken some positions in other stocks like Square, like Google, like Amazon, like Shopify, like a f some others, uh, actually uh, a bunch of others. I want to say a ton, but yeah, you know, companies are interesting um, that I thought were good prices. Uh, Square is one of those companies. I'm not like, I'm not like a mega fan of Square. I think um, actually, um, in, um, 
I think they have potential. I think Stripe actually is my favorite company in the financial space. And I think if they were going head to head, I would prefer Stripe. The only problem is Stripe is a private company right now. Um, Square is interesting. I, yeah, I think I have to do an entire video on this because they have a lot of different type of um, arms to Square and how they're making money and what they're trying to do. All right. Um, Nicola says, hi, Dave, any news about battery day? Well, I heard, I think this is um, Elon tweet. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he said that actually is postponed to probably May or so. Here's my theory about it. I think, yeah, Tesla is doing a battery investor day because of two reasons. I mean, first and foremost, they want to kind of pitch their vision of battery drivetrain kind of gigafactories, massive amount of gigafactories, right? And they want that narrative to kind of push them forward in terms of um, allowing investors to really get behind um, what Tesla is going to do over the next five to 10 years. However, in terms of timing, I think the reason for the timing of Tesla battery, battery day in May, in April, was that I think Tesla actually was going to produce right some new batteries um, and release them into some cars. Now, which cars? I don't know. It could be the Model S and X. Um, I don't know if they have enough capacity right, or that fast to really produce new batteries that they make themselves to put into the Model 3 and Y. And I don't think it would completely make sense because they have the Reno gear factory already making already Panasonic cells. So yeah, I don't know. It could be, it could make more sense for it to go into maybe a Tesla Semi or Model S and X or something else. But I think, yeah, the idea was they would have their new cells already being manufactured, already being put into their cars. And then in April, so they would kind of you know, switch over um, first week of April, and then by mid-April, they could go ahead and share at the Battery Investor Day, hey, we've got these new cells, and guess what? These new cells are already in vehicles. Um, so I think um, what's happened is that's been delayed, right? They haven't been able to switch over their um, new cells, I think, that they're making into these vehicles yet. So um, that's why they need until May, basically. And so I think we're going to see probably Battery Day um, you know, maybe in mid-May, maybe even late May. And um, yeah, my prediction or guess with that Tesla is already producing their own cells. Um, they're gonna sh tell us where, and then they're gonna release their next kind of five to 10 year plan of gigafactories. We're gonna see a lot of gigafactories, you know, um, uh, to produce probably 10 to 10, over 10 million cars. Right? That's probably gonna be the goal within the next 10 years for Tesla to do. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's definitely, um, uh, Interesting. So let's go ahead and um, uh, Mushash. Are you concerned about the dependence of Tesla on China and the Communist Party? Um, yeah, you know, China is something I've been looking into um, a lot this past month in quarantine myself. Not in quarantine, but you know, in lockdown myself. And um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. You know, China is such a complex country and economy. And without you know some type of cooperation with the local governments and the federal government there, it's like really hard to do a business of any kind. Um, I'm not too concerned about the dependence of, of China, of Tesla on China specific because like China's or Tesla's product is mainly a car. Um, it's not necessarily Google search or YouTube search or even an Apple iPhone, which I think adds a lot of complexity. But yeah, I think it's in China's interest to kind of get these great companies and great products into the Chinese economy. They want to kind of show the world that they're an international kind of globalized economy. And Tesla's kind of like one, a, a great example, right? They say, hey, Tesla has a factory. Look at us. We're a global economy. And therefore, it attracts more foreign investment. It attracts more companies. It grows their economy. I don't think China wants to be an economy that kicks out all foreign companies and just sees just domestic companies. I think uh, China actually, um, yeah, has... Um, you know, the recognition that they need to be part of the global economy. I think Tesla serves them in, um, in, in some way to show that, yeah, China is, um, is promoting that. Um, yeah, I'm not too concerned. We'll see on, on Tesla, you know. I think, um, yeah, t there's a lot of question marks with, in terms of uh, w will the Chinese government, when will they approve, right, uh, uh, or autonomous driving in China? And how they work with Tesla, but anyways, we'll we'll go ahead um, and uh, talk about that more. CF says, Dave, working from home these last three weeks, I ran into a gem to work with my team, Slack. I was surprised and very pleased with it. Yeah, Slack, man. Um, yeah, Slack is one of those companies, man. It's like, you know, um, they got an interesting product. They got some great growth going on. My only problem with Slack, or, or I want to say problem, my only concern is their valuation. 
um, you know, uh, there's a, like for example, you know, they re they recently I guess borrowed a billion dollars in good terms compared to Airbnb, who supposedly borrowed a billion dollars, but it was on rough terms because Airbnb is just having a hard time. Um, their whole travel industry is being decimated, right? While as Slack is having a great time because you know remote work is just on the rise. My question mark for Slack is this, and I and if if I'm going to invest in Slack, I want this question mark answered, and and that is basically, will Slack just become kind of like a niche kind of you know remote messaging chat kind of collab software, kind of more in the niche space, or can Slack expand and become kind of like um, the go-to? right enterprise kind of work remote platform and i have question marks with that because you know it seems like microsoft is being very aggressive in this enterprise field and um and they are demonstrating some decent competency too and i think that's going to be a challenge for slack to go head to head with microsoft with the enterprise and the bigger companies now on the smaller companies like you know there's all these you know i guess uh, companies that are, are springing up to challenge them in a space um, and Slack is like starting to you know kind of take an approach of co collaboration right working with partners uh, interesting company that I've looked at for a long time in the space is Atlassian right They're the makers of of um, bug tracking software but also they have Trello and a bunch of other stuff and it seems like you know there's been more collaboration I think my question mark with Slack is just their ambition like how ambitious are they and does this kind of like, you know, does their software really scale beyond just kind of like communication to something much bigger? I want to see those questions answered. I know a lot of, you know, people are, are gung-ho with Slack. Um, but yeah, if you have information on that and you're gung-ho and you think that Slack is going to take over the world, uh, please let me know. Go to my website, davely.tv and shoot me a message. Shoot me um, some ideas. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, Ed Jones, what are your high-level thoughts on impact of Tesla in 2020 numbers as of now? I think they'll hit their 500,000 target. As of now, I don't think they'll hit their 500,000 target, but I really don't think it matters at this point. Um, yeah, I think Q2 is going to be kind of rough. Before, I was estimating at about 70,000 deliveries, but it could be higher, especially with Shanghai, and it really depends when Fremont's going to get back online, right? I mean, I could be surprised, and we could see a great Q2 higher than I expect. Um, and then Q3, um, I'm actually expecting a good Q3. Um, Q4 is, you know, I'm hoping for a good Q4. The question mark is, does the virus come back? And does that somehow restrict or impact Tesla? And also another question is just demand, right? Will demand um, really stay up there? I think Tesla's in a great situation this year because they have Model Y that's coming out or that's being produced right now. And that kind of does a great thing where it kind of just, you know, shores up demand where people are on the edge like, oh, okay, I'll just get the Model Y because yeah, I've been waiting for it for a long time. And so I think Tesla can actually sell most all their cars that they make. It's just a question of how many cars can they make, right? Um, originally, my video a couple weeks ago, I was saying maybe 440,000 cars was a better kind of like realistic projection. Uh, we'll see. It all depends like, you know, when Tesla... Um, uh, is able to get the protection up. But I think Q2 is probably going to be the worst quarter um, from the pandemic, and then hopefully we'll see it kind of uh, go up again. Um, all right, 26, Humor 26 thinks Tesla factory open, open up in June. Um, yeah, it could, but I think hopefully it will um, open up um, in, in May. We'll see. Um, I'm pretty confident it will open up in May. Um, <clears throat> All right, I'll just look at a couple more questions before you know I wrap up here. Um, yeah, after hours is 27.25. Um, we have PV, so Tesla's on a discount. Um, yeah, Tesla 675, actually Tesla 676 in after hours right now. Um, Uh, Julia Sanders, hi Dave, me and my dad are consistent watchers. You're, you're a great YouTuber, thanks a lot. Um, I never thought I'd be a YouTuber, you know, it's like a funny thing. Um, I'm kind of slowly owning to that whole like, you know, what is a YouTuber, that whole identity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, beyond, beyond meat, yeah, man. Um, yeah, you know, I used to be a vegan actually. I used to be a vegetarian as well for a couple of years and I switched to become a vegan. This was probably like, man, a good like, 
you know, five to seven years ago. So I actually know this whole like, you know, space, kind of the vegetarian vegan space pretty well. Um, <clears throat> I'm just not a fan of all this fake meat stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, beyond meat, I mean, it would be more of an evaluation question, right? Like, but also another thing is I'm actually switched over to become more of a meat fan, but more importantly, like more of an organ meat fan. I think actually people underestimate the nutrition that comes from organ meat. So I don't know, philosophically on a personal level, I'm not really into um, the whole vegetarian uh, market unless I could be convinced of their business model um, beyond meat. Um, <clears throat> All right. Um, okay. So here's a question, actually. Um, <laughs> so Dennis Hoglin, what the ha what happened to Tesla stock? And Takumi, right? What happened to Tesla stock? And I'm actually glad that um, that I could be on right, the, this live stream with you guys to kind of look at this. So so here you go. <laughs> Six fifty is a three fifty. Right now it's a three fifty nine. So nine minutes ago, you had Tesla stock drop like what four hundred points just out of the blue. Right, and then it shoots back up, right? 400 points. So, what the heck is going on? Um, yeah, like you can look at this, right? It's kind of crazy. Um, so, anyways, um, yeah, it's funny. It actually goes down. Yeah. So, anyways, usually what, what's going on here is there's no reason to panic when you see stuff like this. You see this all the time, right? After you know, the market closes, sometimes you'll see a big drop and um, in this charts and you'll see it go up. But usually these are just um, either like, there's one of a few different possibilities. One is like a, usually it's a late recorded trade, meaning it's a trade that happened previously in the day or even before, um, and they just didn't record it intraday, and so they had to record it after day, and that that's what caused this kind of like this fluctuation. Um, another um, example is it could be some type of exercised call or or put that's been reported incorrectly in terms of like its actual price in terms of like you know what it's got so it's just it just basically comes down to be a, it's an error right it's an error of reporting and that's why you'll see it, it kind of drop down a lot really fast and they'll just jump up right back up because it's an error of reporting right otherwise if it was an error you see something gradual going down right or gradually going up so all that stuff if you see some crazy movement like that it's just like one thing up and down just forget about it right just move on with your life it's a uh, absolutely no big deal all right. Well, what do you think about Uber? Like, here's the thing. Like, some people have asked me like about Gala uh, Virgin Galactic, right? Space S B C E. What's my take on that? And I'm like, you know, how can Virgin Galactic compete with SpaceX, right? Um, and there's also Blue Origin. Like, Bezos is you know funding like billion a billion dollars a year or something crazy, right? For this, like, how can you compete against all this stuff, right? And people are saying, oh no, it's a big market. But I'm like, think about it. Yes, it's a big market, but these markets are extremely difficult. Space is an extremely difficult market. SpaceX, just to be able to succeed, is not guaranteed. Everyone, the SpaceX fans and Tesla fans, thinks it's guaranteed. But no, this is an extremely difficult business model. In a lot of ways, SpaceX has to create their own business model. They have to create the demand. And that's extremely difficult, too. And that's one of the big reasons why they're doing Starlink, is to create some type of revenue source so they can fund right their missions to Mars. However, with Virgin Galactic, what do they bring to the table that SpaceX doesn't already have? right? And you say, oh, space tourism. But SpaceX can get into that, like, you know, like, in a, in, a, in a moment of time, they're there. It's like, I just don't see Virgin Galactic have much of a competitive advantage, right, in a super hyper-competitive and um, difficult space. Uh, space like space right um going back to uber again it's like with uber the reason why i bring this up is because uber is an extremely hyper competitive space um and it seems like they're positioned great but you have tesla right there that's going to be jumping into right the whole ride sharing market with autonomy and so it's like how in the world does uber compete with tesla right and tesla doesn't even have drivers it just has ai it's like who you can't compete with AI, right? AI is just like, you know, so much more efficient than a physical driver. And so to bet on Uber, it's like, in a way, you're betting against Tesla because you're saying that you don't think Tesla is going to dominate ride sharing with autonomy. But if you believe in Tesla, that Tesla actually is going to dominate right ride sharing with autonomy, then you've got to be, I think, bearish on Uber. Now, there is a there is an investment narrative around Uber that's going around with these big investors. 
and they call it kind of like Uber is a platform for all things and all services, right? It's a platform for life. And so if you really do a deep dive on Uber, you'll see kind of these words, right? Platform for life, platform for everything. And what they're insinuating is that through Uber, you will get everything delivered to you. You'll get all your food delivered, all your restaurant food. You'll get all your services eventually delivered, right? If you want, like, I don't know, like some type of massage or you want your windows cleaned or want something house cleaned, like everything will go through Uber and Uber will be the ultimate platform to control everything, all the services and goods that comes to, to into your life. And I think that's like a great um, uh, wishful hope and dream. It's a great ambition to have and I applaud them for thinking that way, but it's one thing to think that way. It's another thing to execute like that. Like without AI, without autonomous driving, without the whole package, that Tesla has, I don't see how you can get there. I think it just shows that um, even more potential for Tesla, right? It just shows that Tesla, yeah, can become kind of the platform for all things, for all life. And I think that's, it's just so fascinating because in a lot of ways, if you control autonomy and if you control ride sharing, you eventually can control transportation. And with transportation, you control logistics, right? The movement of things and products. That puts Tesla in eventual competition with Amazon, which actually also is investing and is trying to control logistics as well. So you'll see Amazon also, I think, invest heavily into autonomy going forward. And who knows, they might even buy like, a car company. Right? They, I've been speculating they might buy Rivian, right? Bezos is ready, and Amazon is already invested in them. Um, yeah, it's going to be a hyper-competitive space. And um, uh, But anyways, the short answer is I don't see how like I could be bullish on Uber unless I'm bearish on Tesla or vice versa. All right, um, all right. We have Zelko Dimitch from uh, TMC. Go, Dave! Man, Zelko, man, he's like one of my favorite guys from Tesla Motors Club. This guy is a legend. Um, back in 2013, right, we had this whole camaraderie of early Tesla investors who saw the potential in Tesla, like very early on, and you know, it's like really a lonely kind of crowd, right? It's like it's not a ton of people, but you know, we, we start to see that potential. Zelko is one of those guys, um, and he stuck with Tesla over the years. Um, and uh, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations online and on forum, and now here here we are on YouTube um, in 2020, right? Talking about Tesla, what a what an amazing thing. Um, <clears throat> we have another person says, please, uh, thoughts on Uber. I've already shared my thoughts on Uber. Um, I can share more, but you know, if you want, I can yeah ask more questions. Uh, Nicola says, "Hi, Dave. Any thoughts on Starlink going public?" Yeah, I did a, a video on this. I actually wanted to do another video on this because I have some more information. But um, these live streams are great because I don't need to do prepare. I just need to talk. Um, Starlink, yeah, is probably gonna go public, right? That's what uh, they announced. However, um, um, the timeline is unclear, right? And we they probably want to see the constellation up and running to kind of give proof that this is actually working, the internet is actually working. And the constellation probably won't be working in any like real form until probably end of the year. I mean, they're saying that maybe by the end of summer it will work in some limited parts, but they need more right satellites up in the air. They need more launches. Um, <clears throat> what's interesting is their main competitor is called OneWeb. And OneWeb is kind of like this, you know, it was a high profile startup. It was um, funded by SoftBank with billions of dollars. So they had big funding. They had smart people. They were going to take over the whole internet satellite, you know, kind of world. Um, they were even there before I think Starlink and kind of Starlink kind of caught up and then surpassed them. And then a couple of weeks ago, you had news that uh, OneWeb is basically filing for bankruptcy. And it's a sad story, but you know they just weren't able to execute and to really. You know, push through with their plans. I mean, they had launched a bunch of sat or not a bunch, some satellites, um, but supposedly they just weren't com competitive in terms of cost to SpaceX or co competency or you know how well their satellites were functioning. And this leads to the interesting question: is like SpaceX with their low cost of to get to orbit, it's such a big competitive advantage with satellite launches, especially when you need a ton of launches like this whole low orbit constellation that Starlink is, and it just, you know, makes us makes me more bullish on Starlink, right? When you have the number one competitor, OneWeb, just falling down, going bankrupt because these can't get costs down, right? In terms of launches and their satellites aren't good enough. Um, you have like um, Amazon, right? Has their project, Project 
Kuiper, I think, and that is probably the next major right competitor, but it's still kind of slower than much slower than SpaceX. SpaceX is much uh, faster in the lead, and so yeah, Starlink is one of these companies. Like man, um, yeah, it's a big uh, company on my radar, and I hope it goes public as soon. All right, guys. So my um, actually my battery died. And so that's why the stream stopped in the middle. My laptop battery died. So if you can hear this live stream, I just came back on. Right. If you can go ahead and um, um all right, guys. So my um, yeah. If you if you can go ahead and let me know, go ahead do a thumbs up or um, yeah, then let me know that you're hearing this. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I actually wanted to um uh address a few things so yeah as i was talking about uh starlink so one web actually went bankrupt um and that's just more bullish for um starlink um let's go ahead and um actually okay we got some thumbs up okay so i'm gonna go ahead and answer some more questions uh 26 humor says i don't see full autonomy driving until 2040. um yeah, it's like, um, I think we can get there sooner than 2040. But um, um, yeah, that's uh, up to you to think of that. Um, someone was asking about NEO in the comments, like what's my take on NEO? I just have yet, to, I'm just not convinced that, you know, um, that this company has the um, competency and the drive and execution really to make it and to beat Tesla, right, in China. Now the big question mark is will the Chinese government like support NEO and if they're already doing so and how much they'll support NEO. And I think it's um it's a big question mark. And I think um I'm trying to do a video on Luckin coffee uh soon. These Chinese companies, a lot of them just don't have a lot of rigorous accounting and reporting. And a lot of them aren't subject to really international like uh, agencies or oversight. And because of that, they can get away with a lot of things that let's say US companies can't get away with. I think because of that, um, you need to be extra careful with Chinese companies, right? Some people are like, oh yeah, um, you know, I'm invested in NEO, et cetera, but I want to uh, encourage you to make sure that you know what you're doing, like you really understand the company. And, um, especially it's it's China. Are you do you have boots on the ground? Do you understand the culture there? Do you understand the products? Do you understand the consumers there? If not, it's hard for me to to justify a big position, right? More than a couple percent of your holdings in Neo. I mean, it's a to me it's a gamble, right? And there's not a ton of transparency um, with some of these Chinese companies that you have to understand. <clears throat> All right. Um, Oh yeah, that this is uh, Hugh Bui. He says I've been holding Tesla and own a Tesla car. What do you think of Neo? So that was the question. Um, <clears throat> David Kassman says totally agree about Blue Origin. Um, yeah, Nicholas says how do you compare buying stocks in small amounts when the stock is going down versus going up? Um, yeah, for me, I kind of have this um, whole framework where I look at, I value the company. Um, according to my own valuation and my own projections. I look at their financial statements, I look at their growth, I look at the multiples I want to give the company. And if the company is significantly lower than I think what I think that they should be valued at, then I might start buying that company. And I also use technicals and charts occasionally too, actually more than occasionally, I use that a lot, um, to see different buying points too. Um, it all depends on the type of purpose of buying. Um, if it's really kind of like a big main position I'm accumulating or if it's just kind of like a hobby side position, right? Um, but yeah, over the past uh, three weeks, I was accumulating some side positions of some different interesting companies I thought um, I wanted to hold some type of exposure to. All right, um, Starlink will probably wait after the pandemic. That's true. Um, Starlink should buy OneWeb. Um, no, 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 no. Starlink should not buy OneWeb. OneWeb does not have much to offer Starlink. You know, think about it. A lot of these companies, they're, the ingenuity, the innovation is in the people's mind. If Starlink wants what OneWeb had, they probably don't even want that because like Starlink is much is a much better situation. Their satellites even better. But nevertheless, Starlink could just hire some of OneWeb's best engineers that they wanted to, you know, uh, really do that. Um, makeshift player says Jeff Bezos is the discount Elon Musk. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, whatever that means. Um, Disney versus Netflix. Um, I, man, I wish YouTube was was um, was uh, was public. I choose YouTube over Netflix and um, Disney any day. Um, I also I also did a bunch of research over the past few weeks on Chinese video streaming stocks. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough to understand like what's really going on. Um, and I'm confused about that market, but I, I, I see big potential, not just with like, for example, Netflix or Disney or kind of more of this standardized broadcast, but I see a bigger growth and kind of like user generated content, kind of like what's happening right here on this channel. Right. Um, but like, yeah, this stuff that's happening right here can be scaled indefinitely. There could be millions, if not billions of these type of channels, um, attracting audiences. And that's what makes me really bullish about video in the future. And the companies that are able to capitalize on that, I think are the ones that are in the best position to thrive in the future. And so Disney and Netflix, you know, yeah, produced content from just, you know, com production companies is so, so, um, I'd rather, you know, invest in something I think is going to scale much, much bigger. All right. Um, um, I've streamed already in over an hour, so I, I probably should stream again in the future, but um, I need to go. So I want to wish you guys the best. Um, thank you for joining the stream. If you have any questions, add in the comments. Again, like the video so it gets more exposure, and we'll see you guys um, in my next video. See you guys. Bye.